Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We know your life will be changed for the better by listening to God's word. If you'd like to know more about Trinity Beaumont or contribute to our ministry, please visit www.trinitybeaumont.com. to God. Thank you for being here today. It's good to come together to worship Jesus, and it's good to learn what he has had to say to us through his word. And I think uh, blood covenant is a very good topic for this time of year. You think, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, Jesus came as a baby so that he could die as the spotless lamb, so that his spotless blood could be shed that we might have redemption. So you can't look at Christmas without thinking about his sacrifice and his resurrection. So this is, in, this any time's a good time to talk about blood covenant, but this is especially a good time to talk about blood covenant. Last week, if you were here, hopefully you remember. If not, I would encourage you to go and and uh, look at the service from last week. But last week we talked about covenant, and we saw that it was an agreement between two parties. And in this agreement between the two parties, uh, they agreed to share everything, all of their assets, all of their talents, and all of their debts, and all of their liabilities. And our covenant that we get in on by faith, Jesus took all of our liabilities. He took all our debts, and we get to partake of all of his goodness and of all of his assets and talents. That's a good thing for us. When two people or two groups come into covenant, they agree to share with each other and to protect each other. Remember, we looked uh, at at the different parts of the Hebrew ceremony. Let me go back over those just real quick. We're not going to talk about them in depth, but just as a reminder, they exchanged their coats or their robes as an example of who they were. They were saying, I'm giving you all that I am. They exchanged their belts, which represented livelihood, the way they either protected themselves or, or supplied for themselves. Then they would cut the covenant. They would split an animal down the middle and walk through those bloody parts. They would let their blood mingle together, signifying that what was two different groups was now one group, or two different people were now one people. They would exchange names. Remember, Abram became Abraham, and Sarai became Sarah. When a man and a woman get married... It's always been the tradition. I know it doesn't always happen now, but the woman takes the man's name. She gets a new name. We saw in Revelation 2.17 that we have a new name waiting for us, that those of us that overcome because of the covenant. They make a scar in the covenant ceremony so that there is a record or there is evidence that if somebody comes against you, they're not coming just against you. They're coming against your covenant partner as well. And we saw that while Jesus wears the scars, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And and in the spirit realm, there's a seal that the Spirit sees. We may not see it with our own eyes, but we bear that seal. And it's saying, if you come against this child of God, you're coming against God Almighty. 
They would set out the covenant terms. Our covenant terms are written for us in the Bible, and we're going to look at those some more today. They would have a memorial meal where they fed each other the bread and the wine. It pointed to the communion table that we're going to partake of today. And I'm just going to throw this out there. I've talked about it when, when I've performed wedding ceremonies, and I'm sure that pastor's done the same thing. You know, it seems like the tradition today in a wedding at the reception is to shove the cake in each other's face, and that is so disrespectful because this is really a covenant symbol of the two coming together to become one, sharing each other. They're, they're saying, I'm going to share everything I have with you. So for those of you that have not been married yet or are contemplating, please don't do that when you get married. It's very disrespectful to the Lord because marriage is a blood covenant. God considers it unending and unbreakable. It's a thing about a covenant, especially a blood covenant, it's unending and it's unbreakable. And as I said last week, if you've been married and divorced, there's no condemnation. Um, several of us have done that. And had we known some of the things that we know today, maybe that wouldn't have happened. That God does consider that marriage covenant to be an unending covenant. And then after the memorial meal, they would plant a memorial tree. So those are just the things that we talked about last week. We also talked about a very interesting covenant that we found in the Bible between the Israelites and the Gibeonites. See, remember the Gibeonites came under dubious circumstances, and they tricked Israel into making a covenant with them. Israel did not consult God. They said, okay, we'll, we'll be in covenant with you. And then they found out that... They'd been lied to, but the covenant still had to be upheld. The story of Joshua and the day that the sun stood still was when they went down to help defend the Gibeonites because God saw them as one with Israel. God fought for them, even though the covenant was under false pretenses. <coughs> Excuse me. He still honored that covenant. <coughs> Symptoms have to leave. Now, later, that covenant came up again. And what happened was Saul had, I think I got a little bit ahead of myself, but that's okay. I'm sorry about that, Demi. Let's go ahead and look at... Joshua, and then I'll back it up. 2 Samuel 21. This was a good bit after the covenant was made. And what happened was um, Saul jumped the gun. Saul did not honor the covenant. In 2 Samuel, we're told that there was a three-year famine in the days of David, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord replied, it's on account of Saul and his bloody house. For he put to death the Gibeonites. Remember, God considered that covenant to be unending and unbreakable. So the king called the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites were not Israelites, but they were the remnant of the Amorites, but the Israelites had sworn to spare them. But Saul, in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah, had sought to slay the Gibeonites. And then God required that because Saul didn't honor the covenant, that seven of his descendants be put to death. 
That's how strongly God looks at covenant. And so we need to understand what covenant is because we serve a covenant God. And he will never break covenant. He will never go against something that he has said that he would do. So I'm going to back up just a little bit and talk about Abram or Abraham. We looked a little bit briefly at the covenant that Abraham or that God made with Abraham, and we saw that really it was God making the covenant again with himself. Abram got in on it by faith. But before he ever called Abram, he was in a land of idol worship. In Genesis 12, we see that now the Lord said to Abram, go for yourself, for your own advantage, away from your country, away from your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. That reminds me of when Abraham came up to Melchizedek and or the kings of Salem wanted to give him all the spoil. And he said, nope, nobody's going to make me rich but God. Because he had a promise. And he believed the promise. He says, I will make a great nation of you and I will bless you with abundant increase of favors and make your name famous and distinguished and you will be a blessing dispensing good to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families and kindred of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had directed him and Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, there's several things we could glean from this portion of Scripture. That last statement is very important. Notice Abraham did not start out until he was 75 years old. You're never too old. He couldn't get by with saying, but God, I'm too old. I can't do anything for you. And that's a very tempting thing to do as we get older. Think, what what do I have to offer? All these young people, they have so much energy. They have so much zeal. What do I have to offer? I'm too old to make a difference. God does not say we're too old to make a difference. He's invested years in you, and he wants to pull it out so that you can be a blessing to others. It may not be the same way as when you were younger, but he still has things for you to do, so we cannot use the excuse, I'm too old. And so sometimes I'm talking to myself too. Even though I don't consider myself old at all. I may have a few years, but I don't consider myself old. Hallelujah. But look at the promises that God made to Abram. He said, I'll make you a great nation and bless you with abundant increase of favors. I like that. Abundant increase of favors. If you have God's favor, you have the... the, The world is your oyster, so to speak. If God's favor is on you, how can anybody curse you? How can anybody stop you if God's favor is on you? And I have good news for you. That's not just to Abraham. In Galatians, we're told we're heirs of the blessing of Abraham. That promise is to you too, but you have to know that it belongs to you, and you have to reach out and grab it. You remember when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force? That means you have to forcefully take the word, the rhema word, the word he speaks in your heart, and you have to grab hold of it and contend for it. It's yours 
but you've got an enemy that's trying to steal that from you. It's up to you to grab hold of it. It's up to you to contend for it. The promise is there, but you've got to be the one that's standing when all the smoke is cleared. And you can because you have the word to stand on. But that promise is for you. It wasn't just for Abraham. It's for you as well. And so the promise was sealed with the covenant. He called him out of Haran. What did Abraham have to do? Abram. He was Abram at the time. He left. That was his obedience. He left. The covenant was sealed with the promise even after Abram took Lot, his relative. God specifically said, leave your family for your own good. But here comes Lot trailing along with him. Even after he tried to give his wife away twice or he lied about her two times, not once, twice, God still cut covenant with him even after that. So we see that it had nothing to do with how good Abram was. It has everything to do with God's promise and how good he is. And the New Testament tells us that Abram believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was credited to his account, which is good, but we have a better deal. We have better promises. We have a better covenant. In our covenant, it's not just accounted to us. When we believe God, when we believe the sacrifice, we are created, recreated as the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's good news. Sin's no longer the issue. The issue is, what have you done with the Lord Jesus Christ? What have you done with his blood? Have you applied that to your life? Now, the obedience factor, the good deeds, the works, that that affects your life in the here and now, makes your life better if you'll obey, and it affects your rewards in the future. But as far as sin, the sin issue is dealt with. It was covered, it was washed away with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is good, good news. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, um, another quick covenant. I'm not going to read the scripture, but remember David made a covenant with Jonathan, Saul's son. And we don't really know that anybody else knew about the covenant. It wasn't a real public thing. But Jonathan risked his life several times to help David escape from his father because Saul became more and more jealous of David when he began to see that the anointing was lifting from him to be king and it was obvious where the anointing was falling. And he did his best to kill David and many, many times Jonathan helped David escape. He would warn him or, or you know, give, send him help. And then years after David was crowned king, Jonathan and Saul were long dead. He remembered that he had a covenant with Jonathan. And he began to think about the covenant that he'd made. And he got to thinking, is not there someone that I can bless because of Jonathan? And so I'm just going to read this. I don't think I gave this scripture to Demi. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 9, but for time's sake. I'm going to kind of give you a brief synopsis. David said, isn't there still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show unfailing, 
unsought and unlimited mercy and kindness of God. And Ziba, the servant, replied, Jonathan has a son who's lame in his feet. It's interesting. Something wrong with Mephibosheth. You know, there was something wrong with us before we came to Jesus. And the king said, well, where is he? And Ziba replied, he's in the house of Machir in Lodabar. So David sent and brought him from the, from the house of Machir at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, came to David and fell on his face before David. And David said, and he said, behold your servant. David spoke to him and said, fear not. I'm sure Mephibosheth was scared. He'd heard horrible things about David, how his whole family had been wiped out because of David. Who knows what horrible things he'd heard. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. But David said, don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table always. And the cripple bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Everything that he'd lost, David was restoring. For us, everything that we lost in the fall, God has restored through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, he invites us to come and dine at his table. Mephibosheth was invited to dine at the king's table, so he dwelt in Jerusalem and ate continually at the king's table, even though he was lame in both feet. That didn't happen in those days. If there was something wrong with you, you didn't get to sit at the king's table. I think this is such a good picture of the father who's looking for someone to bless because of the covenant that he made with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to extend his grace because he wants to. He doesn't have to. He came looking for us. We didn't have to go looking for him. He came looking for us. You know, Mephibosheth had a choice. He could accept God's grace, uh, David's grace, and stay at the king's palace, or he could go back to Lodibar. Fortunately for him, he chose the grace. We have the same option today. And so many people have been fed so many lies about God that they are so afraid of him that they don't want to accept his grace. Or they've been told that you have to toe the line, you can't make any mistakes, or God won't accept you. No, God accepted Jesus in your behalf. So so many people are afraid to accept the grace. And that's what it is, grace that's freely offered. The price has been paid. The good news is you didn't have to pay it. All you have to do is receive it. Glory to God. Our God is a God of restoration. He's God who keeps covenant. We all know the story of the prodigal son and the one son that wanted everything that he felt was owed to him. Do we, do we not live in an entitled society these days? Everything's owed to me. Nothing's owed to us. But we've freely been offered grace. Glory to God. But the one son wanted to go do his own thing. He thought, there's too many rules. There's too many restrictions. I just, my dad doesn't want me to have any fun. I just want to go do what I want to do and have people leave me alone. Give me my money and I'm out of here. And that represents to me so many 
people today that don't want the rules and regulations. They think God's got too many rules. God's got too many regulations. They don't realize that the guidelines that he's set up are for our own good. They've chosen to believe a lie. They don't realize that Satan has his own list of rules and regulations. And before they know it, they're caught up and they can't get out. Fortunately for the prodigal son, he came to himself and he realized he did have a dad he could go back to. Hallelujah. Let's don't get ourselves in that situation because we don't want rules and regulations. When I think of this story, I often think of a cat that I had um, because he was, he was not afraid of dogs. And he, uh, I'd had him declawed because he was a house cat, but he learned how to go out the doggy door in the backyard. Well, I had a fence, a big fence. I mean, I had a nice home for him. You know, he was not supposed to get outside the fence, but guess what he did? He got outside the fence. The fence was not there to be restrictive and mean to him. It was there to keep him safe. But he got outside the fence, and one morning, early, 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 a coyote came up from the woods and carried him off. And of course, I was, I was terribly upset about it. But when I think of this story, that's what I think about is that cat. He didn't realize there were guidelines. Those were for his good. But because he chose to jump outside that wall of protection, coyote could get him. When we choose to place ourselves outside of God's protection, the enemy can come and carry us off. You know, he makes us think that we're missing out if we serve God. Well, yeah, we do get to miss out on a lot of stuff. You know, he says, you're giving up all your rights. You're giving up all your privileges. Yeah, we give up our right to have our own way, but in exchange, we get peace and we get joy. We give up our right to be offended. You know, everybody just thinks they're supposed to be offended all the time. You know that is a sign in Matthew 24 of the last days. Offense everywhere. Have you noticed that you can't say anything? You have to have safe spaces so people don't get offended. You know? Well, we give up. We really, when we come into Jesus, we give up our right to be offended. But in exchange, we have the privilege of operating in the Holy Ghost. We have the privilege of operating in the anointing. We give up the right to judge and to criticize in exchange for the intervention and promotion of God in every area of our lives. No wonder people have called the gospel the great exchange. The covenant that we get in on through faith in Jesus gives us complete access to God. People in the old covenant had no clue that that was ever even going to be available. Remember, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he had to... Uh, be cleansed. He took the blood of the, the bull or the goat and placed it on the mercy seat. We can go into the holy place anytime we want. We have access to the Most High God anytime we want access to Him. 
In fact, we think that when we mess up, we need to run away. But he says, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy for help in time of need. We don't need that grace. We don't need that help unless we've messed up. We've got a need. When we have a need, when we've, when we've blown it, it's a time to run to him, not away from him. We serve such a good God. He willingly gave himself and all his ability to us. Remember the blood covenant. Exchanged the coat. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us everything that he is. And he's given us all his ability. Our part is to believe it and receive that it's available for us. And it's available for us because of the blood of Jesus. Remember Leviticus said the life is in the blood. When Adam and Eve sinned, there had to be a penalty, and that penalty was the death of an innocent one. And the blood was an example that that penalty had been paid. Before the children of Israel left Egypt, we all know the story of the Passover. They had to place the blood of the lamb on the sides and the top of the doorposts, sign of a cross. And God said, I will pass over you. The death angel will pass over you. The blood was their salvation. When the law was given, everything in the tabernacle was sprinkled with blood to show that the price for sin had been met temporarily. I mean, they were having to do sacrifices continually, continually, and every sacrifice pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, religion today, the world today, would like us to ignore the power of the blood. They used to sing a lot about blood songs. I love the one that they did last week. The blood speaks a better word. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word for us than whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in. Everything that's available to us is available because of the blood covenant, because of the blood of the spotless lamb. So we need to be aware of what it's provided. So we're going to look just briefly at the covenant terms. See, the Bible, or the covenant terms that were worked out ahead of time, the New Testament especially. Hebrews 4.2 says, Indeed, we have had the glad tidings proclaimed to us just as truly as the Israelites of old did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message that they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith by those who heard it. And neither were they united in faith with the ones who heard it and did believe. You can hear it and hear it and hear it, but if you don't believe it, it won't do you any good. That's everything in the Word of God that's available to you. If you don't grab hold of it and believe it and act on it, it won't do you any good. But as we meditate and we, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us revelation, things come alive. It's so important that we mix with faith what we hear and then act on it because faith without works is dead. So I want us to look just at some of the things that have been accomplished because of the blood. There's no way that in the next 10 minutes or so I could cover it all. So I'm asking that you don't hear just with your physical ears. Hear with your spiritual ears. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you need to know 
to help you stand in this next season. Because I'm telling you, it could be a matter of life and death. We are living in very serious times. Look how quickly things have changed over the last couple of years. And it seems like time is just speeding up and things are speeding up. We're getting closer and closer to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go out when he says, come up hither. I don't want to go out early. So we may need to know some of these things so that we will finish our course. We all want to finish our course. Colossians 1.14 says, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, which means the forgiveness of our sins. And that's exactly what redemption means. That action of saving or being saved from sin, from error, or from evil. Another definition says it's the action of buying one's freedom. You were on the slave block. You were a slave to Satan. You were a slave to sin. But because of the blood, you've been redeemed. You've been bought back. That's the whole reason Jesus came. He wanted to buy his family back. Colossians 1.20, And God purposed that through the Son all things all things should be completely reconciled back to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, as through him the Father made peace by means of the blood of his cross. The blood allows us to have peace with God. God's not mad at anybody. He wants you to have a peaceful relationship with him. But that requires some response from you. Remember when we talked about the covenant last week, we said that you have the right to go and ask your covenant partner for anything that they have. But on the flip side, he has the right to come and ask you for anything you have. Now, we're in covenant with God by faith, but we should give him the right to come and ask us for anything that we have, whether it's our earthly goods, or whether it's obedience in some area, or giving something up that's hindering us from being close to him. But the blood allows us to have peace with God. Colossians 1.22 says, Yet now has Christ the Messiah reconciled you to God in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and faultless and irreproachable in the Father's presence. I love that. Jesus can present you holy and faultless and irreproachable to the Father. Why? Because of his blood. Because of your faith in his blood. If you choose to reject it, you reject everything that good that comes with him. Hebrews 13, 12 Therefore, Jesus also suffered and died outside the city's gate in order that he might purify and consecrate the people through the shedding of his own blood and set them apart as holy for God. You're purified, you're consecrated, you're holy. These are things that are yours because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of the covenant term. Romans 3.25 Again, speaking of Jesus, whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood 
the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. God's so good to us. I'm so glad to live in the church age. We are so blessed, people, so blessed to live in the church age. They had a bunch of rules and stuff they had to follow in the old covenant. We can be led by the Holy Spirit. And if we will allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, we're automatically following the law. But it's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. So much better. That's what God always wanted in the first place. He didn't want to give them the law. He always wanted relationship with them. He always wanted them to be led and not have to live by a bunch of rules. But our flesh thinks it's easier to live by a bunch of rules. For our flesh, it is. But that's not how God wants us to live. He wants us to live led by the Holy Spirit, and that's available to us because of the blood of Jesus. I did Ephesians 1, 7. Okay. It's important to know who you are. It's important for you to know what's available through the blood of Jesus. The exchange that was made at the cross was for our benefit. It's the only reason Jesus came, was for our benefit, to restore us to the Father. The exchange, our unrighteousness for his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our poverty for, for his provision. He wants you abundantly supplied. I don't care what it looks like. He wants you abundantly supplied. But there are ways to get there. And it doesn't generally happen overnight. I have a, a, a woman that was in our church for years. And she's just been, seemed like one thing after the other going wrong financially. And I said, okay, uh, let me ask you a question. And this is a hard question. Because when you're talking to your, about your finances, it's kind of like, eh, oh, they just want my money. I said, are you tithing? It's no benefit to me because she's no longer in my church. It's a benefit to her. She said, well, no, you know, kind of starting with excuses. I said, all right, you know better. She said, yeah, I know. I've lived that way, and it does work. I don't know what happened. I said, you need to start tithing again. If you're having financial difficulties, the best thing you can do to begin to dig yourself out of the hole is begin to tithe. That's God's way of doing things. That's his kingdom economy. You need to tithe where you're fed. You need to, oh, no, give offerings? You mean I need to do more than 10%? Um, I would recommend it. If it's just a dollar, find somebody that you can bless. And if you don't have a dollar to give, go give them a hug. Give them a smile. Give them a phone call. Bake them some cookies. Begin to be a giver. And if you begin to be a giver, then you have just opened the door for God to get things to you. 
when you keep it all to yourself, it's like you're keeping the door shut. But Jesus took our poverty so that we could be abundantly supplied. His will is that you be abundantly supplied, but you have to cooperate with him. But that's still available to us because of the blood of Jesus. He took our fear. The world is so afraid, and he's given us peace. The world does not understand the peace that we can walk in. I think in these last days, the peace of God, and as Jason would say, the fire of God, those are the two things that are going to speak to a world that is so afraid. But those are available to us because of the blood of Jesus. He took our sickness and gave us his health. Then we say, well, how come you're up there coughing? Or how come people are sick? Because we live in a fallen world where there is still a devil, but God has provided healing for us, and we have to fight for it, and it's provided by the stripes on his back. That was blood that was shed. It's available, but we have to fight for it. I like what Brother Hagin used to say. It's not going to fall off you like ripe cherries off a tree. You got to fight for it. You grab hold and you contend for what belongs to you. You know, we're all familiar, I hope, with Revelation 12:11. It says they've overcome and conquered him, the dragon, by means of the blood of the lamb and by the utterance of their testimony, for they did not love and cling to their life even when faced with death, holding their lives cheap till they had to die for their witnessing. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's the short version. That's how we overcome today. Because we have an understanding of what the blood of the lamb has provided for us. And then we have to agree with it. How do you agree with it? What's coming out of your mouth? Are you agreeing with what's supplied for you? Or are you agreeing with what the world wants you to have? Are you agreeing with what God says? Or are you agreeing with what the enemy says? It's so important that we know what's available to us so that we can fight for it and walk in it. So I think we're going to conclude today with taking communion. Because what better time than here right before Christmas to share communion, to share the Lord's Supper. And to seal the things that you've just heard over the last two weeks about the blood. Okay, so the scripture, let me see, I need to switch apps here, that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 11, 23. This is in the NLT. And Paul was talking to the Corinthian church. Remember, the Corinthian church was a messed up church. They were doing all kinds of weird stuff. They had a guy that was sleeping with his stepmom. I mean, that, he, Paul said, that's not even done among the heathen. What's wrong with you people? They were uh, mis, misusing communion. They would The people that had plenty would come together and eat and get drunk and leave out the people that, that didn't have anything. So Paul's giving them some instruction. 
And he says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this wonderful bread. (laughs) And it's what it represents. It represents the body that was broken for us. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this precious, precious lamb of God that willingly came and sacrificed his body that we could be made whole. And as we receive it, we thank you that we receive those things that he made available to us. Oh, and the wine that represents the blood. (laughs) The blood, the blood, the blood. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance, me, in remembrance of me as often as you drink it, for every time you eat the bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he come again. Glory to God. He's coming again. He died but he's coming again. So we thank you for what this represents, Father. Flesh of my flesh and blood of my blood, we are one with you. We love you, Lord. We love you, we love you, we love you. You have a song for us to sing? Yeah. Let's worship him.
Bless you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we worship you. Oh, you're mighty God. You're a mighty God. You're a mighty God. And there's none like you. We glorify you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. This is a busy season. Don't see Pastor Andrew. If you need to go, we'll go ahead and dismiss. Our prayer partners will be here if you want to come for prayer. Hope that you'll be back at tonight at uh, 6 o'clock at the bowling alley. We welcome you if you want to come bowl. But in the meantime, have a Merry Christmas and love God, love people, and lead well. <laughs>